0: Hey guys, I'm Zeke. And Jake, I am. And you're listening to the Cinema SciShow Podcast episode 103. That, Jake, that why you did well. you greet the audience in a Yoda voice?
1: Oh, I was thinking more like Roald Dahl, Sam I am sort of.
0: Oh, interesting. Well, most people would have just associated that to a weird Yoda impression. Oh, fair enough. I didn't do the voice. We talked about the Mandalorian mm-hmm. last week, not this week. No,
1: I always the... Yoda's gone. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's, got, he's never coming back. You know, you know he's, he's coming back straight away. Oh, uh, well, the memes have been out. It's been out for a couple of weeks. No, now. what I mean was, is like, well, season three, episode one, Baby Yoda's going to be back. Apparently he's been delayed. F- well, yeah, COVID. Of course it has been delayed. Well, yeah, it's Just a bit of a shame. <laughs> I'm surprised season two was as like smooth as it was. Like it came out a year later and yeah, was less handy. than a year.
0: Yeah, was handy.
1: You know, How it, you doing, Jake? Yeah, I'm good. It's 2021, Zeke.
0: It's yeah, time. we made it. We're we so- we We're alive. Yeah, we somehow survived it. We'll probably be talking a little bit about the year that was a little bit later in the show. Yeah, that's true, actually. A certain film that you and I both watched this week. But before we get into that, (laughs) Jake, do you have a quote for me?
1: I do. I have a quote for you, Zeke, from a 2003 film. Uh, You're doing really well so far, two for zero. Mm, Fun
0: fact, first year I ever went to a cinema was in 2003. Wow. I'm sure I went earlier. I probably
1: shouldn't have, but I went earlier.
0: <laughs> yeah, I remember pre-primary, I went and saw Shark Boy and Lavagirl, I think it was. Oh my goodness. No, that can't. It was either Shark Boy and Lavagirl or Finding Nemo.
1: Yeah, you know what? I went to Finding Nemo. I'm pretty sure that was 2003, and I think I fell asleep. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the first movie I went to was The 101 Dalmatians. Was there like a live-action Dalmatians there film was? in the early 2000s?
0: Um, let me check it.
1: Yeah. I-, I feel like that might have been the first film I ever saw. I wanted to... 96. I oh. Think. Hmm. Maybe it was the sequel? Maybe, yeah. Maybe 102 Dalmatians something like that. <laughs> I don't know. Does that
0: ring? Does that I've ring never true? heard of a sequel. There's yeah, definitely... so Vetch is a Chuck Boy, and Lava Girls 2005, but Finding Nemo is 2003, so my first film ever was Finding Nemo. Very yeah.
1: interesting. Well, that, that's definitely... I definitely remember falling asleep to that one. Mm. <laughs> well, anyway, um, I doubt you saw this film in the cinema... In okay. 2003 when it released. But, but I did uh, see it. Hmm? I have seen you it. You have seen it, yes. Um, probably not when it came out, though. Okay. <laughs> All right, so here's the quote. Uh, let's see if everyone at home can get this one. Now, I'm going to say this in a very serious voice and try and throw you off. <clears throat> I used to know a girl. She had a dozen guys, and one of them found out about it beat her up so bad, she ended up in a hospital on Guerrero Street.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm about to go 3-0 and o here.
1: Oh no! <laughs> Is that the Tommy Wiseau masterpiece, The Room? That's the one. His 2003 masterpiece, of The Room. There's so many quotes I could have done,
0: Zeke. You could. Thank you for throwing that one to me. That's uh, all right. That was a, that was a. I mean, you are tearing me apart with these oh, quotes. Always, always. Um, I wanted to do School of Rock, but you still haven't seen it. If and we've always talked about this, if an episode falls on April 1st, we would love to do The Room. Mm, I wanted show. to do if episode 69, but
1: it. It crossed over with our um, decades challenge, mm. so it didn't quite
0: fit. Well, we might get one released in on April first someday, and then we'll be able to. Uh... That's true.
1: April first is on a Thursday this year, so that kind of sucks. Oh well, but we, that's, that's we could okay. always
0: record it on a Thursday. <laughs> Maybe do like a special halfway episode. Yeah, exactly. Like our the point our
1: number point episode like hundred and twelve point five yeah. or something like that. <laughs> our first ever, just to do the room. Yeah, or we just do a subsequent
0: <laughs> podcast where we do bad films on that one. Yeah, exactly. Oh, well, we've done some bad films on this show. That is true. Maybe even the one later on the show. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll find out. But before <laughs> we dive into that, Jake, what have you caught in the last week? <laughs> um. All right,
1: well, in the last week, to cap off the year, and you've seen this film too, I watched Death to 2020. Uh, this
0: is the one we were... Yeah, just yeah.
1: We we mentioned it last week. This is uh, so it's written and produced by Charlie Brooker of um, Black Mirror fame. I actually rewatched the very first episode of Black Mirror last night. Mm -hmm. Um, the one where the prime minister has to have sex with a pig, and I retain it's one of the best episodes in the show. I love it the way it like sort of takes every angle. How many
0: seasons there of that? I
1: think there's five. But most of them are, very, like, three episodes, four mm-hmm. episodes long. They're very short. Um, and then the movie snatch came out between four and five, if I recall. But um, but apparently, I didn't know. This. Apparently, Charlie Brooker actually has a bit of a history of mockumentaries that aired on, like, SBS or something like that. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them were very similar to this, where it was the sort of a year recap, but it was comedic and it was a mockumentary. And so, apparently, this is sort of him going back to his roots. Interesting. Yeah, which I didn't realise. And I kind of... I compared it to like John Oliver humour. If you like John Oliver and you find his show funny, you'll probably find this show as equally funny. Okay. And I laughed a few times, but um I understand why it's getting kind of panned critically.
0: Yeah. It's probably about I'd say maybe twenty minutes too long, or maybe 10, mm. like there there definitely needs to be some trimming. Okay. And it's not even a very long I think it's only seventy seven, eighty minutes. It's, it's I think it's like sharp seventy. Um, it's very... Yeah, it's... And I honestly would cut that down to a, f- a flat hour, probably. I think mm. some jokes go on way too long. I think some of it... I, it was interesting because I found some of it quite funny. But then other things I was... Uh, kind of left a little uncomfortable because some of the stuff mm. they were... I
1: mean the Black Lives Matter stuff was very fresh. Like, yeah. even more fresh than COVID. And we're lucky because we haven't really dealt with COVID... On a personal level, in in like nearly three hundred days now, it's kind of insane. But um, that especially, I was like, "Ooh, this is is it too early to be making jokes about Black Lives Matter?" They don't really, to be honest. No,
0: they seem to. They generally avoid it a little bit. I mean, there's a scene with uh, Christy Melody's character. She's great in this. She is great, but she has one sequence that goes oh, a little yeah, too yeah, long,
1: yeah. and she basically plays a Karen. But she's yeah. like not aware that she's a
0: Karen, or yes, well, yeah, just... I agree
1: with you that they kind of push that where it's one too many jo- jokes mm-hmm. in. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree with you there.
0: Um, I think Samuel Jackson's funny in some parts, but then they cut back to him, and I'm I'm always a am um, a little eh on some of his stuff. Um, He's uh, like the intro he does is great. Mm. Um, I like I think like all of them probably have maybe one scene i would get rid of from each of them respectively and that might make it a little tighter a little bit more refined um
1: yeah i definitely don't disagree that it could be shorter um even at 70 minutes i didn't hate yeah. it
0: though i actually laughed quite a bit yeah me um, too
1: i thought it was fine i think for what it is which is like a very you know fun mockumentary is really only in this kind of day and age they could do something like this mm. so quickly the very south park-esque shoot it and I release it within like if it feels like a few
0: weeks, because it's very topical. Mm. I thought Hugh Grant's character was probably my favourite, oh, yeah. the historian he's funny, character. I thought he was probably the one that was most consistently entertaining. Mm. Um, but I think they, they even call back to him too many times.
1: That's fair. I, I like the joke where, um, it, I can't remember who it is, but he's talking to the camera and he's talking about the process of creating vaccine. He's talking about something, but then they cut to the B-roll Of like random things and then he starts commenting on the B roll. Yeah. I thought from a filmmaking standpoint, it's actually
0: quite unique. I don't think I've seen that before. Yeah. Where they comment on their own B roll. Like apparatus sort of like making fun of the cinematic apparatus. Yeah, exactly.
1: That's something that only a mockumentary could do. Yeah. Because if you did it in a documentary, it's too fake. Yes. Because it's clearly a joke that was constructed. While in a mockumentary, it actually works because you're sort of tearing down. Mm -hmm. I actually really, that was a really clever joke, and you're right. And otherwise, very John Oliver esque jokes. If you don't find John Oliver funny, you're not going to find this funny.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Um, But I thought it was fine. I I would recommend it, sure. Again, it's like they put it together really quickly with Netflix and everything, the distribution. It's really the only time you could do a film like this where it doesn't really take itself too seriously. Mm-hmm. And it's like, ah, it's fun. Let's make fun of the year. It's been ridiculous. Let's have a laugh. So that's why I wasn't like... I feel like critics are offended by this. And it's like, there's no reason to be offended. This is just fun.
0: Well, it's very low... St- yeah, and honestly, to be putting something together on such a quick turnaround, I, th- I think that's impressive, so... Yeah. um, I managed to catch two other films... Okay. Uh, ...in the last week that I can talk about currently. Gotcha. Um... I caught the 1993 film Searching for Bobby Fischer. Now, I'd never seen this film before, mm. um, and it follows a a prepubescent chess prodigy, refuses to harden himself in order to become a champion like the famous and unlikable Bobby Fischer. Now, this was directed by Stephen uh, Zalen, who... He hasn't done a lot, from what I know. No. Um, in fact, next to nothing, really. I'm looking at his... Uh, four things he's corrected as a director for. All the King's Men, uh, a civil action, this film, and a The Night Of. But The Night Of, I'm pretty sure, is a series. So, intriguing um, that he hasn't done all that much.
1: Because my but, understanding this is a finely uh, regarded film. Yeah. It's got it's, a decent letterbox score, yeah.
0: Decent letterbox score. It's um, actually a really interesting... I mean, it's a sports film, really. Okay, yeah um it follows a chess championship and stuff like that and it actually following the recent release of the queen's gambit on netflix mm, um of course with chess yeah um i was kind of intrigued to watch this film and i was really entertained by it it reminded me a lot of um sort of stuff that like ron howard did in the 90s a little bit mm. it definitely had that sort of um minimalist soundtrack that only played at critical moments it reminded me a little bit of goodwill hunting okay it's gifted young individual with mentor sort of the gifted mentor sort of stuff obviously yeah. it doesn't have nearly as many dark turns as as goodwill hunting does right um but yeah they were the two films i would kind of Compare it yeah. to... Yeah, Ron Howard's... Probably the Cinderella Man from Ron Howard would be the one I would uh, attribute. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I found it really enjoyable. There's a really good um, sequence, and it's really cool how they bring stakes and, and make things dramatic and quite tense with the sport that, from a distance, is quite minimalistic. Yeah. So I really enjoyed it, yeah. Very nice. Uh, and the only other film I caught this week... Uh, just back it out, there we go. Back it up, back it up, back it up. Uh, was August Osage <laughs> County. Now, this film was a 2013 release by John Wells, um, who has done The Company Men and Burnt, and I know Burnt has had, had quite a few criticisms when it came out. This was the... I'm not sure about The Company Men, but it's got relatively seldom score... seldom average score. Um... This film was intriguing because this is one of those, I'd like to call them kind of family drama films is probably the best way of describing Mm. them. They're sort of the indie family drama where they're often centred around the death of a family member and they sort of unfold a family dynamic. Yeah. And this is no exception to that rule. I talked about a film earlier in this year by I believe it was Jason Reitman who was This Is Where I Leave You... And then in succession, Kona Chrome, which I prefer both those films over this one. This okay. one has a very good Meryl Streep performance um, and it has a really um, packed ensemble cast, um, all things considered. But a lot of these films often do have pretty good cast prior to there. Um, so this has Meryl Streep, Julia Roberts, uh, Chris, oh, yeah, Julia Roberts. Chris Cooper, Hugh McGregor, uh, Margot Martindale. Yeah, Margaret Martindale. Character actress. Of of Bojack fame. (laughs) Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, uh, Will Coffey. Um, So, a pretty strong uh, ensemble cast. and Yeah, it's got some really solid performances in there um, from Roberts and such, but I felt it lacked the sort of potent emotional substance that I got out of things like This Is Where I Leave You Mm. and Kodachrome. So... Um yeah, yeah. But
1: it's cool. kinda of similar to last week, our Pixar discussion. How like certain mm. things are kinda of, they're similar to other Pixar films but they didn't have the same impact one way or the other and
0: Yeah, and I mean yeah. he hasn't made a film since this film. This is a twenty thirteen okay. film, twenty fourteen film. This is his last film he's done, so I don't know if we'll be seeing anything from Wells again, but it'll be interesting to see if we do. No, we're
1: definitely not gonna see anything from Orson Wells anytime soon. No. That's <laughs>
0: that is true. That's exactly
1: what you were just talking about. Um, Well, the other film I saw in the past week is semi-related to the film of the week. So, I watched Patty Jenkins' uh, directorial debut, which is Monster, very famous for um, Charlize Ferron's performance, who won an Oscar for it. She plays America's first female serial killer, the first one to get executed. And um, I thought it was pretty excellent. I really like that she takes that story and turns it into an LGBT coming-of-age romance. But... The way they frame it, I just thought was like really effortlessly just just brilliant. The way mm-hmm. they sort of show this person who grows up with childhood fantasies and sort of has, not, not, I wouldn't say deformities, but she's definitely not the most nice looking girl and that's what a lot of people said about Charlie's from. Oh my God, she put makeup on and she doesn't look beautiful in this film. Which I would be like, wouldn't she be excited about that? I, I don't know how that's brave necessarily. I think mm-hmm. that's, if I was an actor, I would love to change my appearance one way or another but I don't know, that's just sort of what I thought but it obviously works very well for the story, the way she looks and going on with the discovery of her sexuality with Christina Reese's character and then then after establishing all of that, do they show that she's capable of murder and all these horrible things that she does uh, to these guys and I thought that was really excellent and kind of a shame in a way Mm -hmm. because I was watching this film and obviously thinking about Um, Patty Jenkins and then going on to do Wonder Woman and she really only did like some TV and some unaired pilots and stuff between this film and Wonder Woman so she hasn't really had much of a feature career outside of really those two IPs or or films if you will and I was watching this and thinking of the Virgin Suicides a lot just tonally but also the fact that Sophia Coppola and it was her first film and they're both I feel like both Monster and Virgin Suicides have this thing Where the, the, the stories and the films are really excellent, but they sort of have this authoritative tone that I feel like only those two women respectively could do. Like, I really couldn't see anyone else doing Virgin Suicides the way Sophia Coppola does. And she brings, like, her female experience to that film, even though it's not overly, like, preachy or obvious or hitting you over the head. And I felt the exact same way about Monster with Patty Jenkins. The problem is that Sophia went on to do way more films that feel like her voice with Marie Antoinette and lost in translation and we even did on the rocks which neither yes. of us thought was brilliant no. but it's still a film that she can just do she wants to do that film and she can and I feel it's a shame that I think uh, I think Patty Jenkins could have had a very similar career but I just I don't think she was dealt with the right cut I still put my head up and say Michelle McLaren should have directed the Wonder Woman films and she was up to do it. And she very famously uh, directed a bunch of Breaking Bad episodes and Game of Thrones episodes, and she's a wonderful, like, action director. Mm-hmm. So I see Patty Jenkins being a great, like, uh, what's the word? Like, great alternative. But it also is a shame because, like, this is really the only film she put out before, you know, the superhero genre sort of swooped her up, and we always joke about that. Um, we're like, oh, how long is... um. Jim Cummings gonna make films before before, yeah. before Disney snatch him up and then you got Tyker with and um, John Favreau and all those people. And you know, say what you want. I obviously Tyker and, and John they're still doing stuff outside of Star Wars and, and Marvel, but it is a shame that it feels like their authoritarian voice is slowly disappearing. It's like Tyker could be making another Jojo Rabbit or another boy, but instead he's just making Star Wars and Marvel films. And I feel like that's kind of the shame with Patty Jenkins because mm-hmm. Monster is really excellent. I really loved it. But uh, I, it just made me think of all those things externally. But um, I definitely recommend Monster. And uh,
0: yeah, that's sort of my thoughts <laughs> on Intriguing. that one. It sounds like a film I would actually enjoy to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so that's all you caught in the last week. Pretty much. That's all. Beautiful. The one. <laughs> it is time for us to. Uh, Have you got anything to add in the career section Um, for the new year? For the new
1: year? Well, every year we do have our Clicker Productions reflection video, a look into the new year. So that should be out by the time you're hearing this. But other than that, no, it's uh, time to get into work.
0: I think of the new year. Absolutely. And what better way to start the new year than with our film of the week? But, Jake, what are we watching? This week on the show, we're watching Wonder Woman 1984. This world is not yet ready for all that you will do. Your time will come, Diana. And everything will be different. I don't want to be like anyone. I want to be an Apex Predator.
1: You've always had everything, while people like me have had nothing.
0: Well, now it's my turn. Diana Prince lives quietly among mortals in the vibrant, sleek 1980s, an era of excess driven by the pursuit of having it all. Though she's come into her full powers she maintains a low profile by curating ancient artifacts and only performing heroic acts incognito but soon diana will have to muster all of her strength wisdom and courage she finds herself squaring off against maxwell lord and cheetah a villainous who possesses a superhuman strength and agility that, that intro is almost lo- as long as the film that we just
1: watched <laughs> I was say it's probably the longest read on this whole bloody podcast yep well that being said zeke do you renounce your wish to review this film?
0: Um, <laughs> yes and no. Okay. So, yes, in terms of we went a year on this show without a superhero film, and... Yeah, we're starting off with 2021. I, I'll, you know, I honestly think it was a uh, pleasant absence from <laughs> this show's discussion points, because following our episode... I want to say 14 with Endgame. Was Endgame 14?
1: Uh, Endgame was 15.
0: Uh, following we, we had Spider-Man on 24-ish. And I th- I th- honestly would say following Endgame, I had nothing left to talk about in right. terms of that topic. And yes, we did to Far From Home about 10 weeks later. And I remember that episode being, although a very long episode, was mostly just talking about how we kind of passed the point of this era.
1: Yeah. I look with the Spider-Man. I remember being way more positive about the film when we recorded that podcast. than I was like over time thinking about, I actually Mm -hmm. really don't think that all that highly about far from home anymore, having fought. So it's, it's interesting with that, but no, I'm with you. I, it was refreshing not to have any superhero films. I know a lot of people were missing them. I mean, there is no Marvel property that came out in 2020. There is none because all the shows and movies got delayed. Yeah. So it, it was kind of refreshing and I, I loved going to cinemas and again, like we're in a privileged location, but I could go to Luna and see all these wonderful, unique, tiny $5 films mm. that were not Marvel or DC films that I kind of enjoyed. And that being said, the only superhero film we even talked about in any capacity was Birds of Prey. And I actually really enjoyed that film.
0: Yeah. I don't remember. I didn't hate it, right? but I was left quite, I think I was pretty warm-ish on it, but I uh, forgot about it, to be honest, yeah, until yeah. you just said it just then. That's fair. So, that really says a lot about... And, yeah, this is an interesting one, because this is obviously the sequel to um, the Ugly Duckling Company of comic books, really, what the <laughs> DC films have not even remotely competed with the, the Marvel films right. in the last, what... Five ever since well the Nolan films the whole thing yeah I mean Nolan was not in this universe technically well yeah but that that
1: I feel like that wasn't as much of a competition the closest they got is Iron Man and Dark Knight came out in the same year and then Dark Knight Rises came out in the same year as Avengers but. Other than that, like it, it felt like the individual movies were versing each other. It wasn't like Marvel versus DC in a wider scope that it is now with the cinematic universes. But, yeah,
0: and obviously yeah. this, um, there have been times where this universe that they've developed has been called that the best way would be to scrap it and restart it. And obviously with Patterson's Batman coming out next year, or so this uh, year? Who, uh, yeah, well, who knows anymore when, yeah. when's anything coming so out? So question mark on that one, but... Um, this universe, technically, um, has been all over the place, and mostly mm. negative, and Wonder Woman was probably the only film that was critically and consumer positive, I think. Right. Um, whereas other ones have been one or the other, and mostly just consumers liking it and critics hating them, but... Um, yeah, unfortunately, I, th- I don't have too much nice things to say. About- I, would, mm. I thought the first, the original Wonder Woman, the one, the first film. In 2017, yeah. 2017's one was good. Had moments that were great. Had a really average Ooh, ending. Sorry about that. Um, and <laughs> My windows were um, me. I think it was one of those films, which is actually going to be a topic that I'm going to carry over to probably next week on the show with our film next week, okay. but that's a little tease. Um <laughs> I think that that film got put further on a pedestal because of sort of the uh, empowerment marketing that went with it. Um, okay. I and mean, it's the way it was marketed um, in the sense that everyone thought the film was incredibly progressive because obviously it was the first time a first-timer. It was like a female. So you're talking about the original Wonder Woman or 2017? The 2017 Yeah, one. okay. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. Like... It was that was definitely a huge part of its marketing I Man, it was getting pushed for like people wanted it to be put in the Oscars yeah it was race. sort of it
1: was the Black Panther of its time but didn't you know do as well as it did in the Oscars I don't think it got nominated for anything if no. I recall but um, yeah well I remember I remember walking out of the theatre for the original Wonder Woman and just having a sigh of relief of just like okay DC it's a good film it's a good film I hated the third act I thought it was just visual noise kind of like the ending the Batman movie and, and Patty Jenkins has come in so like she didn't want to end it the way she did with the big bombastic fight against the giant demon monster. Like, I thought that was just garbage. Mm. I liked the rest of the movie quite a bit. but um, And I didn't really have time to rewatch the whole film. Mm-hmm. I wish I did before going into the second one, not that I think it mattered all that much ultimately. But I think, I think the thing going into this second one is that next to Tenet, it's probably one of the biggest sort of COVID-related films to actually release in the 2020 calendar year. So I think that in 10, and obviously, oh, and probably next to Soul as well. Yeah. But even Soul, it never got like monstrously delayed or anything like that. Like 10, it was a big deal because it got pushed so many times. And this film was a big deal because it got pushed. And they just decided, let's just drop it on Christmas Day, much like Soul, which again, I think was a good idea. Mm. Um, we both caught it in the cinema because we could. Yes. Um, Which I got to say was actually... Nice to watch like a big epic film with the the music and everything with the big screen and the theater was packed. Usually mm-hmm. the theaters are pretty empty because I watch crap that nobody watches. <laughs> but um, that was nice actually. From that I couldn't I couldn't lie. But uh, I don't know. So what did you specifically? What what did or didn't you like about this film?
0: Um. <laughs> well, the starters. Um. I'm not a big fan... I mean, so these films are already started on a uphill battle. And okay. I'm going to elaborate through... For you, for you specifically? No, in terms of just physically structuring timelines. Okay. Um, so, and sort of MC... The MCU was faced with a very similar challenge, but managed to somehow... With all of the different people in different places in time manoeuvre it pretty mm. well. Fox didn't do well with the X Men. Um in trying to Right. That was that the... was a big
1: meme that it just never the timelines never um, made any sense or whatever the case was.
0: Exactly. And DC has done okay with it, um, simply because there's just not that many films. So um I was not a big fan that just because I just wasn't a big fan of going to the '80s for the starters, to be honest. Mm. And it's a big part of the marketing from the trailer that this is an '80s. I mean, it's yeah, 1984, yeah. which is obviously a, a parable of the sort of Orwellian. Yeah, um, and then the way novel. Apple,
1: the, the way Apple responds to that with a very high techno new computer they're going to release in 1984, yes. and. And then so I feel like this film is leaning towards the... What's well, talking about the consumerism and... Well, yeah, like the neon visuals of it all. Like yeah. the fun part of the 80s.
0: Yeah, and I think obviously with like, you know, shows like Stranger Things coming mm-hmm. out and we had a, a phase probably that like and didn't end too many years ago, but I would say like the the nostalgia for the 80s is has kind of come and gone in terms of like back, like for that nostalgic era that we mm. have. And we constantly recycle fashion as like a society and re- like we reminisce on different times relative to the time that we're in. And I think a couple of years ago, there was a really big hype for like 80s stuff to go back to that 80s feeling. I mean... Like, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about Ready Player One and mm. the obsession that that has with 80s pop culture. and
1: Well, just nostalgia
0: in general, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's mostly focused on the 80s, though. That, I would say, that film. Yeah, I guess so. Um,
1: like, the games and stuff it's referencing. The, it's all Zemeckis the media. Cube.
0: And yeah. DeLorean and DeLorean. The Shining. Well, yeah. And it's mainly because the guy who created the game was young in the 80s, mostly. I yeah. I think that's the whole point. Yeah. Um, and I think it's just yeah, it's just I was just a little. I'm not a big fan of that era, so that was already like, okay, well, not off to a good start here. And um, <laughs> I, I it's like I don't like the '80s. I just Screw don't. this. Is that I, yeah. is that wrong? Is that wrong to be saying? Oh, a,
1: I think it's a weird. Opinion. I think I I feel like you're sick of seeing the '80s in your media today. Yes. I don't think you as someone the, who the didn't grow up in the eighties. The
0: eighties weren't eighties like we watch eighties films. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, you don't
1: like, like, like the representation, the idea of the eighties that we're being shown as someone neither of us grew up in the eighties. <laughs> exactly. It? There we go. Okay. Yeah, well, you got there.
0: <laughs> you're, you're speaking my language. <laughs> um, got there. And you know, I mm. I just you know, it's funny you're talking about like the feeling of sitting in a pack cinema and and that's, kids behind me I, from popcorn at uh, us. And does that not speak to one of the biggest things? There's going to be the runtime of this, this, which is going to be a big topic of, in terms of narrative structuring and such. Mm. But I, for me personally, I didn't miss these films. And you know, when we had scenes with huge amounts of CGI, like the the big arena, and right, yeah, I just didn't miss this stuff at all. Like I. <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. I did not miss that. There's Man a strange... Area. <laughs> there's a strange... No, I'm uh, with you. Uh, uh, there's a strange hyper stylized. Ever since... And I feel like this film's tonally got a problem even with its first film. Like, it's like a okay. sequel film. It's Like you said, it's marketed way more fun and, and upbeat compared to the first film, which took itself quite seriously. And I think... What well, they, they probably thought
1: they could do a Fort Ragnarok and get away with it.
0: And I think this has been the problem with DC this whole time is they've just been following trends from Marvel. I mean, mm. they have these big... Uh, you know, it comes back to the Justice League problem, the fact that most of these characters either had one movie or no movie at this point, and we just, you know, they just pushed them all together because, you know... Marvel was over there doing Civil War and or Guardians, and like they're like, Oh, look, well, they can do it with a cast that never met each other at the start of this film, but it's Mm. like it's just never worked. And it's like, I think since Aquaman was received, it both financially well and and people liked that hyper stylized, more comical, right? And I've
1: certainly seen it, so
0: well, I haven't seen too much of it, I've only seen scenes, but I've seen the style change and the mood and the tonal change because they didn't take themselves too seriously, it's right. now cascaded into these subsequent films. And we're talking about, like, you know, I think you hit the nail on the head in the first half of the show when you brought up that Patty Jenkins, this is her second feature of note. Well,
1: the, this would be her third. a third. third So, Monster, Wonder it. Woman, and then this Wonder Woman Exactly.
0: Film. So, she hasn't carved, I think, a directorial identity there. You know, we've only well, seen I, it.
1: I feel like she completely did in that first film. And that's the problem, is that she immediately, in terms of features, I'm not talking about mm. TV, is that she jumped straight into working on a big budget film. When did film, Monster which, come out? In 2003.
0: So that's 14 years between films. Yeah. So you can be a completely different person in 14 years if we took...
1: Well, my yeah. thing is, like, how can she have an identity making a DC superhero film? How can she have a voice with that? Mm. I mean, I've, I've already got notes here about all the the... Arguments that her and DC had behind the scenes about the distribution and even some of the actual.
0: Would you like film. to elaborate?
1: Yeah, sure. So uh, basically, one of the things that's come out recently is that um, Warner Brothers actually asked her to cut either or both of the basically the both opening scenes. So the film opens with uh, with Dina as a child and doing the obstacle course, and I guess the whole thing is to show that she takes shortcuts and mm-hmm. and she's punished for taking shortcuts, I guess which is weird Um, but then it has the mole scene where she has that uh, big battle with the mole with those robbers that are trying to break into the back of that jewelry store Um, and basically Warner Brothers were asking her to cut at least one of those two scenes because it felt like just two big opening scenes and she refused to and one of her reasonings for doing this which will go into something I want to mention is she said it was for the people who have never seen the first film or the people who are on a plane and this film starts playing. It's for the people who don't have all that context, that they need both the mole scene and the the scene on the island of her as a child to understand who the character is. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't necessarily disagree with that. I also don't think the length issue is because of these two scenes. I actually have a different reasoning for the why the length doesn't work. But, I don't know, just... Like, imagining these kinds of arguments happen behind the scenes all the time in terms of... Stripping down scenes that Patty Jenkins shot
0: or put in the film, and um, well, that creates an inconsistent character too, because like like you said, like having so that scene at the start where she cheats in the competition mm. that wasn't in Jenkins' original cut no she or?
1: no it, all of it was okay, and Warner Brothers wanted to cut some scenes to shorten the length. And they wanted to get rid of those first well one of those two scenes, okay, if not both. Um, because, well, that's the thing. It's like, I understand I would, I what they mean. Have
0: d- I would have got rid of the, the, the young person one. We don't need any flashbacks of... Right. Like, I would have taken that one out and started with the break-in if I'd known that... If you would give me those options... Right. Well, that that's basically what was on the table. Okay, then I would have got rid of that yeah. running race. Because the thing is, like, we know she doesn't cut corners, like, as a character. Like, she... Or, or if we well, can, we can do that. We can show it in the present day. Yeah. If you're trying to set up an arc, why do you need a flashback for that?
1: Yeah, it, in your it, second film, it, it felt like an excuse, and kind of both of these things really. That it felt like an excuse to show, like a young girl being heroic or being saved by a hero, and like in the mall she saves that little girl, and they have like a cute little moment that it cuts back and forth between, and then in this one it's like oh they casting a girl who's probably excited to play like a young Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. So it kind of felt more like that than anything narratively speaking. But it, my problem with the length, because I didn't mind the door both in the, the scenes, I actually really like the fact that this feels like a standalone film. Mm. I generally think someone can watch this without watching any other DC films, including the original Wonder Woman, and still get for the most part well, what's happening. Because originally in the first, I appreciate that. the
0: first one, it's just sort of a, a coming of hero story, a typical, gives you the origin, yeah, gives you a villain. Shows her how she the arc is her taking responsibility and accepting her role, and then on top of that you have the fish out of water comedy style that yeah. she's this woman that doesn't know that oh you know all of X Y or Z and yeah. comedy ensues and and you know and that's interesting because they obviously they do the role reversal here with with yeah, Chris yeah. Prime. which I think really works and I'll,
1: I'll get to why in a bit but okay but, um my my thing with the length is that. I didn't necessarily think any individual scene needed to go. I Actually, I feel hypocritical with this because there are plenty of scenes that take its time. And I actually wrote some of these down because that scene at the beginning with her as a child is 11 minutes long, Mm -hmm. which is quite long. It's hefty. Yeah, it's hefty. And then other scenes, uh, what have I got here? The scene when they steal the jet. And the whole point of it is that they steal a jet to fly to this other country. That scene's eight minutes long. The final confrontation between Diana and Max, as soon as she, like, Cheetah's already out of the equation at this point. When she walks in between that and that, like, moment or that scene ending is nine minutes long. Like, I just think each individual scene needed to just be shaved a little bit. Shave two, three minutes off the first scene. Shave two, three minutes off this other scene. And eventually you end up with a film that's less than two hours. Because I honestly wasn't that bored. I wasn't bored at all until the very end. When I was like, okay, now I'm... It, it kind of... The two and a half hours hit me in one go, I think. <laughs> well, I generally was kind of interested in what was going on and appreciated all the scenes were you know, spread out and all the characters got time to develop. And there's a lot of development for these characters, especially mm-hmm. the two villains, um, which, again, I feel hypocritical saying because I always complain about films being too fast. Like, Rise of Skywalker is over in five seconds and it's so quick you kind of forget anything that happened. I feel like this one goes the other way around, where it, it's just a little too long. Just a little too long. Mm-hmm. And you probably feel more about it than I do. But, I don't know. No, I think...
0: You're, fair enough. I mean, I think the first film is just under, or just over two hours long. So, it's... If you could get it... I, I think superhero films don't have to be a tight 90. Like, I do think superhero films do get a little padding, generally speaking. They probably get... Two hours, two and a half hours is epic. Right. Like, that's an epic. Um, you cause you know, when you think about it, you add the twenty minutes of trailers and whatnot prior, you're nearly sitting in a place for three hours. That's that is a, a commitment. And um I think you've hit the nail on the head of how, how to go about it with the obviously when you have two villains, like and two really key villains, it's not mm. an A, B, it's two two A's. Or, yeah. Like, they're very mutual, mutually important to one another and both are given time to show their motivations and stuff. You're immediately going to make your, your uh, film longer because traditionally you would do this formula with one villain and that would be able to keep you to two hours because you've only got to flesh one backstory out, not yeah. two. Um, And especially with, you know, like cheetah's character arc you know sort of going from a good to bad sort of situation mm. um that adds a whole other level of whereas you know so it, i think yeah with with those final scenes yeah trimming trimming it down but i would have got rid of if i was given the option to get rid of that 11 minute yeah okay ep- prologue scene yeah there's basically two prologues i would absolutely get rid of that because, i think i think
1: part of the reason i think warner brothers probably would have picked the first scene as well as you did Mm-hmm. Mostly just so they can jump straight into the 80s. Yeah. Because it's funny because one of my friends that I went with, Keith, she pointed out how stupid it looked to have the 80s aesthetic text come up over footage of this island. And I wasn't all that like upset about it, but I was mm-hmm. like, it's a good point. It looks, it just doesn't match like whatsoever, no, especially because it's shot and it's in a modern an, it's, it's like
0: Wonder Woman 1 wasn't called Wonder Woman 1918. It was called Wonder Woman, whereas right. this one very much is like Wonder Woman 84. Was it World so War One or World War Two? One.
1: Oh wow! Okay, that's a Um, big jump then. Sixty-six years. I remembered it being World War Two. Shit. Which is why it's like you know
0: (laughs) the worst part is is if they go backwards with her, like if her third film's in World War Two or the Mm. Cold War, and it's going to be like just do it sequentially. Like, well, see, um, I because I wasn't even thinking of the external films. Mm. Well, that's how long it's been probably since you've caught a DC.
1: Well, it's been universe. a while, but like I, I was watching in the sense of this being a standalone film, and it actually works from that sense. Because other than maybe the, the history with, with Steve or mm. Chris
0: Pine's character. Did you watch MCU films that way? I watched them mostly as they came out. Yeah, but did you watch them as isolated entities, or were you always oh, thinking about. Well, the... towards the
1: end, you can't. If you're watching Infinity Ward, or oh, Infinity Ward, jeez, I'm thinking of Call of mm. Duty now. If you watch Infinity War. It's Or Endgame. It's kind of impossible to watch those in... Uh,
0: because those really are... Okay, with the exception of, like, those ones, like...
1: Boy Yeah. I, it's tricky, because some of them are definitely more fit to be an individual story than others. I, I definitely prefer the Marvel films that are more successful being their own film. Mm-hmm. Although, with the case of Civil War and Infinity War and all, like, those films, I just really like those films. So I don't mind that they don't really work on their own, especially because they can't at a certain point. Yeah. Um. But that's my my point is like it's it's not like I'm viewing this being like oh it only needs to work. I just appreciate that it does work on its own. But look, with with if you want to compare it to the other films, that is sort of an unspoken rule in this film is that the character of Wonder Woman can't be too famous, can't be too well known, because of the rules of the further films of Bat movie, Superman, mm-hmm. Justice League, and all that where. She really is an unknown character in those, as far as I can remember. So there is sort of that tightrope they have to walk. They don't really comment on too much. I thought it was quite nice. I think, I know, I think that all interweave together. What, um, what would you like to address next, buddy? Well, I think the biggest problem I had with this film, because I didn't hate it, I actually, for the first, like, I'll say, hour and a half, or I joked to you in the car, the first four hours of the film, um, I didn't mind. Mm-hmm. And I went into it knowing that it was getting pretty critically panned the longer that it was out, the more the reviews were kind of going down, the review averages and stuff. I don't think it's Rotten Tomatoes score is all that great at the moment. It's
0: sitting um, I think, 59%.
1: Okay. It's not great. No. But the... Uh, I went into that with that expectation and the first hour and a half, I was just sort of, I don't really see what's wrong with this. It's fine. I'm enjoying the characters and seeing that. Mm-hmm. And it was sort of at a certain point when I realised, this film is stupid, but not stupid enough. And what I mean by that is one of the other things I heard walking into this film was someone made a joke. I can't remember where, but they said that this film is basically two and a half hours of the scene when Superman grabs the S off of his shirt and throws it at the bad guy and it wraps around him. And it's essentially two and a half hours of that scene from like Superman 2 or whatever it is. Um, And I didn't have time to watch. I wanted to watch a couple of those Superman movies to Mm -hmm. get the idea of like the corny back in the day, but it's kind of like 60s Batman as well, where they were corny... But were—I don't know how self-aware they were necessarily—but you can get away with being corny if you're self-aware in these films, and I think that that's what Raimi's Spider-Man does really well. And this film was stupid, but not stupid enough that I knew it was self-aware. And I know it is self-aware to an extent because of the cameo that happens in the mid-credit scene. I was like, oh, okay, it's a bit of a nod to the old show, and you know, is it Linda Carter? I guess that that's. I didn't actually know who it was. I had my friend tell me. Oh, that's the original. I'm gonna
0: quickly check for you. Yeah.
1: Um. But so it's like because they cast her in for a bit role. She plays the, like the goddess who owned the armor that she found and there's some. I don't know. I'm surprised that Kishi knew the shit. I, I,
0: <laughs> I didn't notice this. Yeah. Was, this um, stuff all goes over my head. Yeah. Too. I, I
1: did not care about like the lore or any of that junk because I'm just. I'm not gonna follow it. <laughs> I'm glad that someone I went with did notice it. Um, uh, well,
0: unfortunately, I was just like, just straight <laughs> I just gestured and went <laughs> over my head. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, that's the thing. It's like, I think the fact that they cast her in for a small role tells me they were self aware. There's sort of a note to the thing. There was even a part when her and Cheetah are like fighting in the air and they do like the twirl. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, that's like the twirl in the original series. She used the twirl to transform into a costume and the, the invisible jet thing they threw in there, which. I think mean, that was the first moment. I was like, wait a second. Like, she's never tried this before. Yeah. And then all of it... Hey, by the way, let me try this. Oh, we're invisible. I thought that was pretty funny. But, like, I was, like, laughing, kind of, whip it. Because it's, like, it's kind of ridiculous, but, like, I don't really mind. But, again, I because I'm not so sure that the film is self-aware of how silly it was trying to be at certain mm-hmm. points. Like, some of the... I mean, the fact that the, the MacGuffin is this thing they just wish. They can wish for whatever they want and they get it. Is like completely ludicrous yeah but i was like ready to go with it i was like and i actually even like the way that they get all three of them to sort of have their own little connection to it where diana wishes for for chris pine back and Mm -hmm. then then, Trevor for trevor yep or um steve trevor which is the most manly name (laughs) of all time steve trevor (laughs) steve trevor it's like there's two names of your Grand Theft Auto characters right there, mm. um, but then how um, Barbara or Cheetah sort of has her own wish to be more like uh, Diana, and then Pedro and Pascal that. ends up doing his own thing. He wants to be the wish thing, I guess.
0: Well, uh, yeah, I mean Diana, yeah, but he I end, like ends uh, up getting Diana's powers.
1: Yeah, Barbara. yeah. Well, yeah. I liked the dynamic. The three of them were sort of tethered by this one object that he's granted them a specific wish. Actually, really liked that, and I liked the idea of the character arc that. That Wonder Woman has, where she has to learn to let him go in order to, you know, have her powers and do what she needs to do. I think they could have touched on it a little better, though. It was a bit awkwardly done. like a bit like she warned in, you mean? Well, there's a scene. Uh, let's talk about the scene now, because we're, we're well on the spoilers' this point. There's a scene when she literally has to let him go. It's the scene when he's going to disappear from the film. Mm. And it's, you know, it can be an emotional f- scene, and it's doing well. And I think I know people who were very emotionally, like, written with, with this scene. But I kind of laugh because she runs off and she just says, I renounce my wish. And it just works. Like, I was so caught off guard by how simple it was. Like, oh, you can just say it out loud, you renounce your wish yeah. and it, everything's fine again. Yeah. I was so caught off by that, that this big emotional moment where she loses the love of her life to, Especially to become you a superhero. It, it's
0: like, you compare it to <laughs> it the off. first film when it's like he has like a really good dramatic death in that film. Yep. Um if I recall he's flying in a he plane. He fly, yeah. He plane explodes
1: or something. Yeah. I don't know.
0: But it's a quite a hefty scene, and her reaction in that is actually, it's it feels like it's double down. So it kind of feels like a bit of a diminishing return sort of situation. I mean, it's she's had sixty six years to get over this bloke. I mean, <laughs> let's be realistic. It, like th- that's the other thing. It's something about the timeline jump. It's a very odd jump, and it's like look, they had really good chemistry in the first film. But I mean, it's just for me. It's a little hard to have a superhero dealing with this loss so long removed from when it actually happened. I well, think.
1: I feel like they do a good job of reminding us from the very beginning of the film. She's still. She's always thinking of it, and you're right. It's it's been a long There's while. Nothing
0: wrong with thinking. It's another thing to like. Yeah, obviously. I feel like what no, I'm but saying she's is she's
1: clearly like upset about it. like yeah. she's she, on the tip of her tongue like have you been in love and she immediately just goes into it like oh, yes I was and he's gone and so I bought that mm. I mean yeah you could, you could argue it's, it's been a very long time but yeah. within the constraints of the 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 film okay I kind of bought it well, I was like and and really it adds the levity when she has to give him up again Mm-hmm. And I was talking to my brother about this. I really hope because we were laughing like, "Oh, they're gonna find some other excuse to bring him back on the third one." But I'm sitting there like, "Can they just not? Can this just be it for him?"
0: Well, it has to be. Otherwise, it is going to Yeah, some serious diminishing returns.
1: It's like, what is he there in the background of Justice League as well? Just <laughs> <laughs> like, you're right. Eventually, she's gonna to have to get over him. So as long as it kind of stops here, mm-hmm. as long as this was definitively this is Chris Pine's final. Thing a Wonder Woman, then I'm I'm really fine with it. Funny performance. Yeah. Like I said, I think the Fish Out of Wars stuff works because as as people, we don't we uh, weren't born in the eighties, but we were viewing in these scenes, we we're viewing the eighties through his eyes as mm-hmm. someone who we understand where he came from because we saw it in the previous film. Yeah. So we we're doing in the math in our head of, oh yeah, he never experienced the moon landing. He never experienced this or that. So this is all the surprise to him. The commercial Flying is a surprise to him. Like I, I like that, mm. um, especially because even though the film advertises itself as an '80s film, half of it takes place in a Egyptian desert, which is is significantly not '80s themed. No, <laughs> no.
0: it uh, it but, yeah. sort of it takes a it takes a turn. It would have almost been nice to stay in the kind of the '80s contemporary city backdrops.
1: Yeah, well, I didn't even. The only thing that even felt '80s about it at all, was just the outfits, the costumes. Like what she wears at the gym, Barbara and stuff like that. I was like, okay.
0: Yeah. Did it not feel... So you didn't get the same sort of like Stranger Things retro vibe? No, Stranger Things felt way more
1: like reinforced. Mm-hmm. Like it feels 80s all the time because the kids are talking about things that came out in the 80s and, this, and the way they look and the way the moles are running and, you know, the new Coke and that. stuff. Like it's just so every single minute of Stranger Things is reminding you we're in the 80s. While this film, I just forgot. I was like, well, "You in the desert every, half everyone's the film?" Just, everyone's just
0: in weird clothing.
1: Yeah, it's like every now and then. Oh, I guess it's an eighties gymnastic outfit. Oh, you look, that TV is old and small. <laughs> like that. Like, I didn't buy the aesthetic at all. It just wasn't that. Not it wasn't that. It wasn't convincing. It's just it was so scarcely peppered throughout the film. I was like, "Why did they promote this in, as an 80s... I know why. Because yeah. it's going to make money.
0: Well, like I said, it's but, capitalizing on a trend that yeah. I honestly think. DC producers are like dads. They're just they get onto the fashion sense, but they're about two years too late. They're like the dads <laughs> flossing,
1: like uh, like in Death to Twenty Twenty. Yes, he's flossing. Flossing. <laughs> God damn. Uh well, uh, well, what did you think? Let's talk a bit about the two villains. I was literally oh, about to do go. that. On so, the same wavelength.
0: Oh, wavelength. <laughs> um, so this is interesting because obviously we've talked a little bit about Pedro Pascal in the last couple of weeks with the Mandalorian talk. Yeah. Um, and for Kirsten Wiig, this is an interesting one because I don't think she's ever played a villain in a film.
1: No, I think that's what I'm
0: hearing is that this is a first for her. Um, so that's quite, and for her, it's, I definitely feel like it's a a big, it's probably a big league for both of them mm. as they're both uh, very talented, but haven't had that. Well, they haven't had a superhero push up until now, I guess. Pascal's definitely gotten a lot more coverage in the last couple of years, but Wig has always as been shoehorned as a a female comedy actor mostly. Right. Um Was she
1: in Anchorman, like a bit
0: role in Anchorman? Yes. Oh, she's um Steve Krells. Br- yeah, isn't? yeah Steve that's Perrell's. right. Um And that's, that's pretty much That's Anchorman 2, though, yeah. Yeah, yeah, an yeah. Two. But yeah, she's definitely been pushed as a Comical actress, and I think most people know her for Bridesmaids. What is probably she's her. in her. Who is she in her? Is she like a voice.
1: Sorry, I'm just like going for her thing now. I didn't realize she was in her. You're in the rabbit hole. Yeah, she was the sexy kitten voice. Oh, that's like right at the beginning of the film. Oh, when he's
0: on the date. Well, on the phone. Yeah, the phone date.
1: Yeah, basically, and then um, she's yeah. <laughs> that's funny. I didn't know that.
0: I think the performances were solid. I think uh, both have some, for Wig, this is definitely, I think, a, a pretty solid, uh, it's a well-cast person for this sort of role. I roles. think they're both well-cast. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think she's really, she shows that sort of dynamic nerd to, I mean, we've seen her villain story a few times now over it's, different- It's
1: literally just Batman Returns, Selena Kyle as Catwoman.
0: That's literally what this is. Spider-Man, uh, two from the Garfield ones. Oh, like the, the nerdy um, Jamie Fox. Yeah. yeah, Jamie Fox. Yeah, character. definitely thought that too. Yeah, same sort of uh, situation. Um, I probably could pick another two or three um, if I really thought about it. Off.
1: How messy is their hair and glasses? That's
0: the question. <laughs> yeah, and how much do they stumble over their words? Yeah, exactly. Or Trip a over klutz. Hills. Yeah, they're cluts. Um. So, uh, yeah, I, I just don't think that she, it's going to ever be that dynamic of a performance for her because her character's just not a very complex one. Or, she's not a complex villain That's probably the best way of...
1: Yeah, no, like, I still wasn't quite... I mean, this is kind of the case for both of them. I was never quite sure what they wanted. I know it's meant to be, like, more. They wanted more... You actually said it, it perfectly. You're talking about great, the 80s, yeah. yeah. The green time where they want and, more.
0: Yeah, consumerism... Uh, I, I Materialistic just... Materialistic possession. That's it. I just
1: think, like, in terms of tangible motivation, I just never... Like, I get they want more.
0: They were better but, than the Wonder Woman 1 villain.
1: Yeah, I don't even remember what. She had, like, a weird face. <laughs> Is
0: that what it was? No, no, Wonder Woman, the first one, well, she no, was... Uh, there was, was Hades with um, the... Lupin. <laughs> yeah, but he was really good up until the end.
1: Yeah, yeah, but there was another villain. She had, like, a weird face, wasn't that?
0: Oh, the... She was, yeah, she was like a sorcerer or something. I don't remember, man. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I I, think, I like these villains better than them, I'll
1: give you that. Unfortunately,
0: yeah, they just come off a little bit two-dimensional. Um, I think it's because at the end of the day, and I, I think Spider-Man Far From Home suffered a very similar problem, and... Just, oh, was Mysterio. Uh, well more more the fact that they were they're both going to be dealing with a post thanos world right where you've mm. you had a very good complex sort of end game boss and you know everyone after it, it has just felt a little like cookie cutter i guess um lacking the well, the yeah. same dimensions and i mean thanos has given two films so, that's, that's already a head start. Well, it,
1: it's about the stakes that they reflect. So, mm, you can have true. a villain that's better than Thanos as long as the stakes sort of fit the tone of the movie. That's very true. And this film, again, in a way that's cheesy, I guess, very Superman 2-esque sort of thing, where they, and again, I haven't seen it, I'm just using <laughs> that as like a term to explain it, but the, the fact that like everyone in the world is basically trying to kill each other by the end of the film, yeah. it's like the fact that it is so worldwide you're right, it does put it on that same playing field as someone like Thanos who is trying to destroy half the universe. Mm-hmm. And when you put similar stakes and the villains don't really stand out as well, I couldn't tell if I even liked Pedro Pascal in this film. And again, this is your enjoyment of this film is going to depend on how much you enjoy the hammy performances and the, like the over-the-top plots and everything.
0: He was so ridiculous... I don't know <laughs> if I liked it or not. You know, I, I honestly thought someone that could have played his character better, because I felt a little bit the same, because my favourite Pascal performances have been his more reserved, serious tone. Right. And, and the not best being part. like, I want to touch
1: everyone, I want to touch everyone in the world.
0: <laughs> That's basically him the whole movie. <laughs> I honestly think someone like Nathan Fillion could have fared better. He
1: looks like Nathan Fillion in this.
0: And, you know... If you, yeah, if from a distance, you would be like, is that Nathan Fillion? Because Nathan Fillion's very good at a very hammy, over-the-top villain. If I wasn't watching The
1: Mandalorian, like, a week before I watched this film, I might have thought, isn't that... Yeah. Yeah. I would have been with you there.
0: Because the thing with Pascal is, I like that he's not afraid to just throw himself at pretty much any film. Mm. Um, even though he's an immensely talented actor, he doesn't limit himself. Like, he's. They've replaced. He's the new shark boy in the shark boy and Lava Girl Oh, is he, actually? Yeah. Oh, my God. They replaced God. Taylor Lorna with. Him I knew they replaced him. I didn't realise before. With, with food. Pedro Pascal. So oh it's like my he's God. not afraid to just be like, ah, hey, I'm going to be in a Rodriguez film. That's awesome. Sure. Like, why not? <laughs> um, and I kind of like that he doesn't. Take that side of it too seriously, so no. he doesn't mind playing well, this. It's oops. like Willem
1: Dafoe in Spider Man.
0: Exactly He's just like, like I'm that. just going to do this wacky performance, and and Willem dafoe have been in some wacky films yeah. too. I mean, and I think that, that that's kind of nice, but yeah, I, I think this he probably could have been not because I, I like the casting. I just, I just think the performance we got out. I just don't think he does the hammy. Over the topness, he can be in hammy films, but I think he actually plays a great straight face. Right. Sort of like, you know, it's willem f- I think um, Antonio Banderas would be a good comparative. Okay, I think Cause like in, in his Pain and he's I was going to say in his Spy Kids time, you know, back when. He was oh yeah. Just, <laughs> you know, he's in this wacky film, but he plays a relatively serious character in it. Right. know relative to. Everyone else, which
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, Well that's mean the role that he's playing, he kinda has to be the most hammy character in the whole mm-hmm. film. He has to. A based sleazy on his car role. salesman. Yeah. Basically. Who gets infinite powers and wisdom.
0: That's why we don't give sleazy car salesmen superpowers.
1: Well, I was just wondering why doesn't he just ask someone to wish for more oil? I get I get what his actual motivation but there's a point when he turns around and he's like, oh, where else can we get oil? Why like, can't you just grab him and ask him to wish for more oil? I don't know. And that's oh, why yeah, I, I thought the film was stupid but not stupid enough that I could really just have fun with There were parts when I was laughing. Yeah, but that kind was mostly with the Chris Pine,
0: uh, Like the Chris Pine Fish Out of Water stuff when he first comes out and he's exploring the streets and he's making all of yeah, this yeah. colour commentary of the ways of life. That stuff's funny because it's yeah. a good reflection of of I really like those scenes. was probably my favourite mm. uh, or, oh. uh, <laughs> It could be it could be the um
1: the, this is something I accidentally touched on earlier, I'll bring back there were me- there were several times when the film was doing something in particular the uh, but silly stereotypes that actually kind of played into the plot and were actually mm-hmm. kind of necessary and i' I'd mentioned about the hills, we made the joke about her tripping on her heels, but they actually do do a clever visual where she like that's the first thing she does mm-hmm. when she notices she's more powerful as she lands on her heel. Chicken Walk now. Um, But the other thing was, and we talked a bit about this on Never Rarely, Sometimes, Always, and this film really makes, like, this film takes it really over the top, Mm -hmm. is how many just dirty, sleazy men are commenting on women in this thing. Now, I get get why it's more overt in this film, Mm -hmm. that literally every man in the film is just, like, sleazy and gross and flirting with everyone, but... They actually did kind of tie it into the plot a couple of times. So I was like, okay, okay. Well, like the, the example is when Diane is trying to walk around and every second person is trying to flirt with her, but then one of them turns out to be Steve. Mm-hmm. And it's it sort of plays in her trying to ignore him. I was like, okay, that's actually kind of a clever way to do it, to reinforce it. And then they did it again with um, Barbara when, like I don't know if he was a bum, but that guy in the, the street is like the fifth person to call, and then that's when she turns around and beats the crap out of him. So I was like, okay, you kind of got me there, film. You kind of got me there a little bit, because <laughs> I was about to be like, that's unrealistic. Men don't say that. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, at least it shows the consequence too, so it's got that balance there, I guess.
1: Yeah. Well, that's it. They they weave it into the narrative enough, I suppose. No worries. Do you have anything else you'd like to add? Um, not really. I mean, it's a big, massive film. It's messy. It's a lot of. There's a lot. <laughs> There's just a lot going on here. I it's don't a, know.
0: It's one. I mean, it's what it's the second last film of our second year of this podcast. So we might be talking about it a little bit more next week on the show. Too right, oh, right, right, right. Yeah, with our um. But yeah, it's it's a big film, um. And I can't say myself, I'm happy to be uh diving back into the the, the superhero, superhero films. genres. And I'm hoping we get some fresh and new ideas from these types of films in twenty twenty one.
1: No, that's fair. I'm with you there. Alright, well, Zink, what was your highlight scene for Wonder Woman, nineteen eighty
0: nine? I I I accidentally slipped it a little earlier. <laughs> I like <laughs> okay. the kind of the yeah, the kind of the reflection of the first film, the sort of the Steve Fish out of water stuff with Diana. I do think Gal Gadot and Chris Pine have great chemistry together and actually Hmm. are really, and it's probably precisely why there was motivation to bring him back for this film. Yeah, people Um, liked him. Well, I think people like them is probably the best way to attribute it. I think from his intro scene in the first film and sort of the arc those two go on together, it's actually quite a believable romance, and I think a lot of, for the most part, it's nice to see a film that... You want to see the characters get together, not because it's that time of the film. And, um, like, uh, you know, I, I think even if you remove that opening scene, that opening uh, prologue scene... You jump straight into the 80s. You jump straight into the 80s. You can see the the film's arc is about not cutting corners, and you can't... Like, things are final and absolute, and decisions need to have... I mean, it's really just an action-has-consequences con- film, isn't it?
1: Yeah. I mean, that's you know,
0: sort of what the character arc is. Even for... the monkey-paw sort
1: of comparisons, they make it reflects mm-hmm. that. And, and, and like I said, well, I said this to you off the show, is that there is a 90-minute cut of this film in here that I think is really good. If they just focus more on that arc, plain simply of of Princess of princess Diana, mm-hmm. Wonder Woman, uh, wanting... To have the selfishness of wanting to have this guy, but losing her powers and realizing she needs to get her powers back to for her responsibility. Mm-hmm. Like, I thought that's all great. I wish they touched more into the idea of how he just takes over someone else's life. He just enters someone's body. Yeah, that's a big... They just brush over that and Head it's like... scratcher. They could no have one. played into that. That she's being selfish by having this other guy removed from existence. Well, it's a very
0: clear... Like cutting corners metaphor. I Mm. mean, that she gets what she wants, but she's compromising other people's well-being because of her selfish intention. Yeah, it's clearly there, but it's not explained. It's not. It's something. Yeah, they don't tackle or discuss just
1: that little thing. I think they could have made Mm. that more clear or more overt. Because by by the film's end, you notice that the rest of the world are certainly it's falling apart because of their own self interests and Mm. yeah. It's look. It's a. It's in there.
0: It's just, there's a lot, a lot of other things well, in that movie too. The trimming of the fat that needs to be happening.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like, what
0: about you, Jake?
1: Um, I I struggle with this one, but I honestly think my highlight scene would have to be the mole scene. And the reason was, I think that was really one of the only scenes that nailed the, in in terms of the cheesy aesthetic, where I think it works in a good way. They kind of nailed it with the action, with the neck cut between her and the little girl a little too many times. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of endearing in that silly way and... I I don't know. I just I, if the whole film was like that, I would have probably forgiven it a lot more. But then it it just I don't know. There's something about the action that precedes, it. and even like I actually came around on the action in the first film, mm-hmm. where I was like, oh it goes to slow motion too much. It's silly, but it's like that that is his own style, and I think it actually kind of worked. Yeah. In that first film, and they don't they don't do that at all in this one. No. So, actually, I think the mole is sort of the closest they get to a perfect balance between campy and corny and sixties Batman, but it's fun. And it's colorful. Wonder Woman's, you know, kicking ass and
0: well, she's about to do her. She's got her offer to her first Star Wars gig too. Patty oh. Jenkins, I'm pretty sure. Oh no, you're right, you're Rogue right. She's doing,
1: yeah, that sounds all right. The it's about the. Does
0: that the mean she's fighters? jumping over? Does that mean she's jumping over to Disney? Then will they lock well, yeah. her out?
1: Well, I, I don't know if they're going to lock her out, but I mean, bloody what's his name is doing Disney and DC at the same time? Who? James Gunn. Oh, there you go. So I think I think they I think people understand Disney's gonna do something with everyone at some point. So maybe they maybe yeah. they maybe they understand. You know, Wonder Woman doesn't. She goes without wearing a costume for sixty five minutes at one point in this film. Wow.
0: Because I thought that like,
1: the kids must be so bloody bored. Yeah.
0: Well, that's why they're throwing popcorn at you. Yeah. Between, if you want to go but... to a cinema and what and have children throw popcorn at you, Wonder Woman is currently out <laughs> in cinemas.
1: Yeah, not, not at a Luna. No. Where adults go to those cinemas. It's also
0: streaming if you are internationally, i.e. in the US. It's on HBO Max. Yeah, you can get a VPN if you're that desperate. Also true. Speaking of VPN, streaming and <laughs> cinemas, Jake. Not bad, not bad. What's new in cinemas and streaming platforms?
1: Well, first week of 2021 is looking decent. I mentioned last week Pieces of a Woman, which is the sees uh, a heartbreaking home birth, leaving a woman, Vanessa Kirby, grappling with a profound emotional fallout, isolated from her partner, Shia LaBeouf, and family by Chasm of Grief. Uh, that comes to Netflix this week. Uh, it was in cinemas last week. It's on Netflix mm-hmm. this week. So if you're patient and you waited, there you go. You're about to get rewarded. What's coming to Netflix is The History of Swear Words which sees Nicolas Cage host a documentary series that explores all of said swear words, which seems fun. Poking fun at themselves.
0: Yeah, I'm... I remember reading, an, uh, like, a small teaser about him yeah. doing this, and I'm intrigued. There's um, a
1: trailer out. It's funny. Okay. It's, like, overly... Like, he's in, like, this very posh backdrop, and he's, like, painting something, and then it turns around, and he's just, like, written... Like the F word, I don't know what it's, it's, oh no, I don't know, I'm digging it. Uh, coming to stand this week is Inglourious Bastards and the 40 year old virgin. If you're looking for a classic, uh, hoi- uh, sorry, if you're looking for a classic at the cinemas, Luna is playing Cats on the 4th. So if you if you want to actually watch that movie and laugh out loud, like I wish I could last year, but I couldn't, you can. Also, Inuitu's 2006 psychological drama, uh, Babble, plays from Friday the 8th. So if you want to catch an old, in a witty film pre birdman that's an option
0: that's a part of a trilogy oh is that actually uh, well it's an unaf- It's one of those unofficial yeah, unaf- yeah, trilogies yeah, yeah. 21 like- grams babel and i can't remember the third one
1: right so it's kind of the 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 john carney sort of mm-hmm. once hang on uh once begin again, begin again sing and street sing street trilogy yeah yeah, yeah. i got gotcha. you sort of the uh, the spiritual yes tri- okay i got gotcha. you uh so new to cinemas not pieces of a woman but promising young woman which gets its wider release on the 7th. Uh, Summerland sees an English woman in World War II open her heart to an evacuee after initially resolving t- uh, resolving to... Jesus Christ, this right up. Resolving to get rid of him in a moving journey of womanhood. It sounds like an alternative Jojo Rabbit. That it does. <laughs> and another one that sounds like an alternative to Tag is Buddy Games, which sees a group of friends reuniting to play a wild assortment of absurd physical and mental challenges All the while healing old wounds. Is that comedy? Yeah, it reminded me of Tag reading that, so I'm
0: guessing so. Intriguing. Well, we are not catching any of those next week on the show. But Mm. Jake, what are we watching?
1: Next week on the show, we're watching Rainey's Black Bottom.
0: A one, a two, a you know what to do. This would be an empty world without the blues. Ah. I try to take that emptiness and fill it up with something. But they want to call me Mother Blues, that's all right with me, it don't hurt none. Right outside. Where's the, uh, the horn player? I got a friend Come on, Levy. You rehearse like everybody else. I'm gonna get me a band and make me some records. I knows how to play real music, not this Jug Band shit. You call that playing music? Yeah, I know what I'm doing. Go on and
1: fire me. I don't care. When I got there, they began to say...
0: That's to get the people's attention. That's when you and slow drag come in with the rhythm part. Me and Cutler play on the break.
1: Chicago, 1927. Tensions arise between Ma Rainey, her ambitious horn player, and the white management determined to control the uncontrollable mother of the blues during a recording session. Now, Zeke, this film is based on the Pulitzer Prize winning August Winston's play. and features Mr. Chadwick Boseman's final performance on screen. And uh, we've both already seen this film. That we have. Um, <laughs> yeah, no,
0: I've, I caught this yesterday. I think you caught this mm. about a week ago.
1: Yeah, a week or two. Yeah, yeah, about a week ago. Mm. It's been a long week. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah, so I'm very interested to talk about this next week on the show. Um, I'm glad you've already confirmed one of my questions already on this week by when I was watching it. Oh. I thought it was a play. Oh, yeah, 1,000% based on the play. Um, so you I'm can g- tell from like some of the monologues. And- you can tell by the fact it's pretty much mostly in one location. Mm. But we'll talk about that next week on the show.
1: Well, also next week on the show, I just want to quickly point out to everyone exciting news. <gasps> next week is our second annual Golden Chock Top Awards.
0: What? Episode 104. That's hectic. That's hectic. So, just to be clear, Jake, that does include every film we've done in the last year for our weekly show. But we're also doing another category this year. So we've yeah. got our... Obviously, we have our annual Golden Chalk Top Awards, which is where we count down the three our three faves, and then we mutually agree on, on a the, fave. The winner, yeah. The
1: winner. And, and then we do the same for films that we weren't so high on that get the stale popcorn award. <laughs> so good. And
0: we are doing a third category this year. So mm. every film that we caught in 2020 that was a 2020 release yep. we're doing that is not which includes films that weren't the film of the week.
1: Gotcha. So um, any so anything's on the table that any we've seen 2020
0: release. Yep. Um, I like this. I think that one will probably just pick a top 3. Like probably I imagine. Yeah,
1: we don't need to I don't think we need to like agree on it. No. unanimous one, because it's like, that's probably going to come up in the main show anyway. Potentially, yes. So, um, well, yeah, potentially, because it could be an older film, that's true. Well, la- last year once won the Golden Chock Top. Which was a 2007 Seven film. film. There
0: you go. So, so um, this gives yeah, an opportunity like for a film that may not make it into <laughs> the best of the year, but, yeah, sneak itself into... Um, the best of this year. Yeah. So. Well I
1: I do like that because you're right and we might be giving too much fame to like classics. It's like we watched And we had a hefty year this year. Yeah, like we watched 2001 in the last year and mm. I, I don't think it's fair that that will probably make someone's list but like a 2020 film doesn't. So I like I like this new category. I do. Yes.
0: So that is the best of the year. I I think best yearly release. Yeah. Um, I like it. I'll get it right by next week. <laughs> we'll have it all sorted by then. Yes. But until then, thank you for joining us for the Cinema Science Show podcast. I was Zeke. I was Jake. And we'll catch you next week with Ma Rainey's Black Bottom.